Welcome to ASM Connected, the podcast brought to you by ASM Technologies. In Series 3, we sit down with business leaders and futurists from across the globe to discuss what emerging tech means to them, how technology impacts workplace culture, and their advice to businesses on how to stay one step ahead of the competition. In this episode, Ian Tomkinson chats to Kamalish Lardy, thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker. Kamalish is a bold and strategic thinker in digital and business transformation. She combines over 23 years of deep cross-industry experience with the latest digital and technology solutions. Kamalish is listed in Thinkers 360, top 10 global thought leaders in digital transformation. In 2022, Kamalish was recognized in International 40 Over 40, the world's most inspiring women by Capgemini Invent. Kamalish believes in transformative impact of emerging technologies. She has developed deep knowledge and practical experience in a range of emerging technology solutions, such as blockchain, AI, virtual and augmented reality, 3D printing, AOT and sensor technologies and robotic process automation, amongst others. Kamalish is a teaching fellow at Durham University Business School and a thought leader on Forbes Business Council. Hi, Kamalish. Um, I hope all is going well with you. Yes, it is so far. Thank you for having me, Ian. It's great to have you here. Um, I suppose a little bit of a, an intro for the audience for today's episode. So obviously, uh, you're a big fan of emerging tech, which is great to see. So I think this will be a great episode because there's some great conversation, some stuff that we've not touched on in any of the previous episodes. So that's going to be quite exciting. And uh, we're, we're looking at innovation with a view on digital transformation as well. So I know our audience has probably heard a lot about digital transformation over the years because it's uh, it's got to be one of the, the buzzwords of uh, the last few years. Blockchain. Um, which is going to be really exciting because I've not covered that, so I'm, I'm interested to learn something new today, which is uh, which is always good. Every day is a school day, and um, looking at manufacturing, blockchain is in having an impact there. And, and we're also going to touch on some of the human impact of digital transformation as well, which I know is uh, something that you're quite passionate about. So uh, going to be a really exciting episode. So again, thanks for joining us. And um, we'll, we'll lead in with a really, really sort of uh, nice warm-up question. So you've had a wide range of experience in tech and business. Can you please provide a brief overview of your background and how you got into technology? Because that's always, uh, it's always fascinating of how people uh, ended up on the journey that they're in. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I'm really um, excited to be here. I think this is a topic that I'm extremely passionate about. I love the transformative impact of tech. I think there's there's going to be a lot more to come in the business world. So a bit of background about myself. Um, I've actually been in the tech scene since the mid-90s. Um, and I got into it really by, I wouldn't say by accident, but more by chance. Uh, I was fairly, you know, I'm originally Malaysian. Um, and I was almost discouraged from going into the tech field back in the mid-90s because, you know, back then it wasn't something that was as popular as it is today. It was a fairly new field. We saw quite a bit of the kind of dot-com booms happening at the back at, at that time. Um, but something about it fascinated me. And as I went into computing and information systems as a you know, bachelor's degree, I realized that I had quite a talent for um, coding, programming. So that's where I got my, my starts, basically a lot of um, basic coding with um, 
platforms or with technologies that were not as user-friendly as they are today. So if you think about um, COBOL, C++, SQL, things like that. Um, what really attracted me to the industry was the fact that um, computational thinking was something that I found quite natural for my own um, talents and capabilities, breaking down problems to its uh, you know smaller pieces, the structured thinking behind problem solving, the logical thinking behind the, the programming languages. And this is something I absolutely loved. But when I started my first job, uh, I was poached by Accenture after university. And back then they were called Anderson Consulting. It was a very prestigious firm to work for. And, you know, I was very enticed by the entire industry. What I quickly realized within a couple of years was tech wasn't enough. I needed to have a very strong understanding for business, for how things work in business, as well as how people utilize technologies. And so I started um, exploring the kind of uh, cusp between, you know, or the application of technology in the business world and the correlation or the convergence of these two industries. And that's something that I found extremely exciting because over the years, um, the importance of tech in business just started to exponentiate. And this is something we're seeing in recent years as well. So I've spent 23 years of my career really um, helping organizations and enabling organizations in the application of technology to transform business models, to transform processes and operations, as well as customer experiences, so they could meet the needs of the increasingly digital economy. And I help digital leaders navigate this um, digital transformation from strategy to execution. And this is an area that I absolutely love. And I've recently written a book about this as well called The Human Side of Digital Business Transformation. Great. Uh, and congratulations on the book. Uh, I'll put it on my um, my list of reads over my holiday, um, which is coming up shortly. So that'll be, uh, that'll be great to read. And uh, it's interesting, your sort of um, your, your sort of intro into tech there, because um, I, I likewise I got into tech in the late eighties, early nineties, and um, I remember people saying to me, "What are you doing?" And uh, you know, and not only that, I kind of went to a small startup company at the time, and it's like, you know, you're crazy. You know, every, everyone else is becoming a joiner or a, an electrician. You know, you need a trade or go and work for a large company. I'm like, no, this is quite interesting. You know, it, it's. Uh, it's really great, and uh, I actually bumped into one of those characters in the supermarket um, about three months ago, and he said, um, "Are you still into all that computery type stuff?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah." I said, um, "Yeah." He said, uh, "He said, I told you that I'd never take off," <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was um, which was uh, which was quite funny. And uh, yeah, the fact that it's given me a career for thirty years is great. And um, yeah, no, it is. Uh, it is good, but in in terms of um, you know some of the stuff that we're talking about today is very going to be very very different from from where we were twenty thirty years ago, and the one that I was really kind of quite interested to talk to you about was blockchain. Most of mm. our audience would have heard about blockchain. Um, it's been around for a while, and it's heavily linked to cryptocurrencies, and I think that's where most people understand it's kind of have linked to, but. For me, you know, is it what is it with blockchain that makes it a valid disruptive technology for for the enterprise business space? Um, blockchain for me is one of the most uh, transformative technologies that we're going to see in our lifetime. I feel um, I got into the space somewhere around 2014 when my clients started to ask quite a bit about you know how blockchain could impact their business, 
And as an experiential learner, I started to, to deep dive into blockchain technologies and its application. I started also uh, learning coding within um, the, the blockchain space and started looking at how it's developed and kind of the technical side of things. Um, one of the fundamental elements about blockchain is the fact that it's going to change the way we do commerce. It's redefining trust and it's changing how we, our, how our, our economy works as a whole. And I think this is one of the most important elements people need to understand about blockchain. It's not the fact that it's linked to cryptocurrency. It's the fact that it can be linked to so much more across different industries. So if I give a bit of uh, explanation to what blockchain is, you know, perhaps not uh, everyone listening in has a, a deep understanding for what it is. I'd like to describe it as a digital ledger system that records the exchange of goods and services. Um, and, you know, the, the fundamental element of ledgers, ledgers have existed since the beginning of, of time, since the beginning of commerce. And we've always used, as humans, we've used ledger systems to secure trust between one another. And this goes down to basically being able to record the exchange of goods and money to secure trust as well as to validate those, those transactions. And of course, as our economy grew and became more complex and our business environments grew and became more complex, we started to utilize multiple ledger systems and we started to utilize intermediaries and third parties to secure trust and to manage those ledgers for us. Now, the fundamental problem with this is we've grown an economy, a global human economy, that's based on a, a fundamental system that's slow, very high cost, inefficient with its processes, as well as oftentimes inaccessible to certain groups of our global society. For example, unbanked individuals, people who live in remote locations or people who are undocumented. There is a certain limitation in terms of what they can do and what they can access, as well as our system has become fairly corrupted because we have dependencies within the system on intermediaries and on certain organizations and um, individuals and, and infrastructures that sometimes cannot be trusted. Now, what blockchain, <clears throat> excuse me, what blockchain has been able to do, it's created a new way for us to secure trust that eliminates a lot of these problems and challenges that exist within our economy system. It's created an immutable environment where um, information that's stored cannot be changed, it can be validated, it can be secured, it can be transparent while still securing um, our, our identity and the, how we've used this environment. And it's programmable, which means that this environment can be digitized to a certain extent. So it can be instantaneous, it can be cross regional cross industry. And this creates so many new opportunities for us. And I think these are some of the fundamental elements that create um, the, the advantage that blockchain creates for us in our global economy. It's being utilized across so many industries. And I find this quite exciting because it allows us to rethink how we do business and how we engage with one another. And it allows us to shift control from large organizations or institutions back to individuals. And this is one of the fundamental elements why I think blockchain is going to be transformative for us. Okay. So in, in theory, then, uh, you know, uh, it, it's like a, a unique serial number and a unique stamp on that transaction, isn't it, at the end of the day, um, and with a validation process behind it. I think one of the, the elements that is different or unique, I get asked this question quite often, Ian, why is it different from a traditional database? Or why is it different from existing technologies that you know um, financial institutions, for example, use today? 
And I think there are several layers that come together, several types of, of solutions that come together to create blockchain technology that makes it different. For example, every block of information, so blockchain consists of blocks of information, and these blocks are then tied to one another. And this is, you know, hence the name blockchain. And every block of information is immutable in the sense that once it's created, it can't be changed. And every time you change data or you update data on the system, it creates a new block of information. So you have this record this kind of time-stamped um, record or version control of information that's being created over time. Another element that's built on top of that as well is the um, hash cryptology, right? So basically what you have is each block is uh, has something called a hash, which is like a unique fingerprint that identifies every single block. And as you change certain information, this unique fingerprint would also change. So it allows you to track what has been changed in the system and who has been uh, making those changes, and it creates this sort of transparency for us. Another element that's built on top of this as well is kind of a, something called public and private keys. Now, if you imagine um, this being a similar concept to having your email address, your public keys like your email address, anyone can see your email address and can send you information on it. The private key is kind of like your password for the email. So you need to have both your email address and the password in order to access the data. And this creates several layers of um, security, several layers of technology that come together. And that's what makes it unique. We've never had in the history of technology so many of these types of elements coming together to create one solution. And that's where I think the, the security element, the immutability of blockchain comes into play. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And that, that was kind of my understanding of it. So, so yeah, so that's great. So thanks for that explanation. Like most people, we automatically think that financial services disruption, when we, when we look at uh, uh, cryptocurrency and uh, obviously blockchain sitting behind it, but crypto's kind of already achieved that disruption to a certain uh, element. And I suppose, that, I suppose the next thing to come out of that is that decentralized model, which is probably going to come in, in into other areas which we'll cover off shortly but to a certain degree where, where are you seeing and what type of use cases are you seeing for blockchain and what are the what are the major benefits that you're seeing outside of of currency um i'm seeing blockchain application being explored pretty much in every industry that i'm engaging with so from beyond financial services from healthcare to real estate to even web3 applications most web3 applications are being built on the blockchain as well um and so there so in terms of like metaverse metaverse spaces and so on so there are so many use cases which i found quite exciting and you know being Located here in Switzerland, um, one of the industries that's, uh, that Switzerland's quite well known for is, is financial services. So we did see quite a significant number of startups come up here focused on financial services. Um, and I wanted to actually, you know, explore beyond FSI and start looking at other areas of application. So one of the things I started to explore was supply chain management, um, specifically for agriculture where blockchain technology could be applied for, uh, for example, plant-to-plate traceability. And um, it would resolve or address quite a lot of issues relating to sourcing provenance, um, the sustainability of the, the kind of sourcing processes and um, the kind of fairness or fair um, management of people and employees within those spaces. And agriculture is an industry where these challenges existed fairly significantly. And that's why I started to deep dive into blockchain application in palm oil. Now, being Malaysian, 
this was uh, palm oil industry is the second most or second largest industry in the world for palm oil production. Uh, Malaysia is the second largest industry in the world for palm oil production. And so I started to explore, you know, uh, it seemed like such a natural um, solution. Why not explore blockchain application to trace where palm oil comes from? Is it being produced in a sustainable way? Are forests being uh, impacted by farm, palm oil production? Um, are employees and people being treated fairly? Are they being paid uh, wages fairly and so on? Um, and so I started working on this uh, somewhere around 2016 with the Malaysian palm oil industry to explore um, applications of, of blockchain. And it took a couple of years, and I have to be um, quite frank with you, the first couple of years just involved handholding <laughs> and educating agencies and industry players, stakeholders, and just bringing them up to speed in terms of uh, understanding what blockchain is, why it's different from traditional systems that they have, um, the traceability systems that was well used within the industry, as well as you know the difference with cryptocurrency. And obviously, uh, government agencies tend to be a little bit hesitant about cryptocurrency as a whole. So I had to really bring the understanding that it's different from crypto and it would be looking at traceability in the supply chain um, and then uh, application alongside um, existing systems. You know, if you look at the palm oil industry as a whole, you have plantations that uh, range, si plantation sizes that range from one hectare to like 100 hectares or, or 1,000 oh. hectares. So there's a vast range of plantations that exist, some of them using handheld kind of paper written uh, reports and documentation, all the way up to kind of uh, database systems and traceability systems and apps. So the range of technology being applied as well was so vast. And so it was. It took a couple of years to really explore the environment, to get a good understanding for the ecosystem and how blockchain could then be developed and then develop a solution based on Hyperledger, IBM's Hyperledger, that could be utilized within the industry. Okay. Yeah, and I suppose um, that traceability, particularly when you're looking at challenges like sustainability, that, that's actually quite a, a really strong use case, isn't it? And uh, particularly you're tackling not only... I suppose the transactional and operational challenges, but you're also looking at improving sustainability um, and that governance, I suppose, um, and perhaps uh, I suppose helping change people's lives, which is which is quite a powerful message. That's one of the fundamental drivers for me to get involved in the industry because there's in Europe particularly there's a perception that palm oil is is bad. Um, and that we need to ban the use of palm oil or get rid of the industry. But if you look at it from Asia as well as South America, markets that produce the palm oil, this is the fundamental element that has eliminated poverty or has reduced poverty in many of these regions. So it's a, it's a piece of economy that you just cannot get rid of, right? But bringing in the, tech, the technology solutions into that environment can create the transparency and sustainability that many other developed regions are looking for from this product. Um, and so the, the, the yield or the production of these um, palm oil um, being or palm oil being produced in these regions are um, they produce far more yield than many of the other vegetables vegetable oils that are being produced and so this was an industry that you know it wasn't a, a, as simple as just getting rid of the product but it's more about looking at how can we improve the industry with the technology solutions and this is one of the the exciting things about emerging tech right we are transforming industries and that's the exciting element 
Absolutely, and uh, and and I suppose the uh, and you, you touched on some of the challenges there, which uh, um, which we'll come back to shortly as well. But I suppose one of the key things when you, you're sort of having that engagement um, with with any kind of organisation, be it government, be it uh, enterprise, when they're considering new technology, particularly most people just want facts and figures about ROI. Um, you know, what is the return in the investment? Um, you know, it's a very commercial overview. Um, have we got any evidences yet um, that with blockchain um, that the ROI is there in general, or is there another way of looking at the benefits, such as user experience, trust, and intangible value? When I work with um, organisations and with you know institutions, be it government or private, I always like to bring in the view that. When we look at ROI, when we look at returns for emerging technology solutions, it's not as straightforward as let's implement a tech and then there's an outcome or a financial outcome or a commercial outcome to it. Mm. Um, some of these technologies, particularly if you think about blockchain um, or even AI-based solutions or you know metaverse and so on, they are still in almost an exploration phase. So the returns may not necessarily be as straightforward as we would imagine. So one of the things that uh, we really try to do is um, link the initiatives or link these transformation initiatives to business objectives. And I think this is a fundamental thing that every company needs to do. Look at what you're trying to achieve as a business and, and identify value propositions that you will deliver from that, whether it's customer experience, whether it's uh, you know financial returns, whether it's engagement, whether it's uh, products and services or um, optimization within your, your business environment, you want to link those back to your business objectives and deliver or create solutions based on these technologies that deliver to those um, KPIs. Um, and I mean, f- with blockchain technology, you know, they're, they're still in a stage, many organizations are still in a stage of building solutions or exploring solutions. So the financial returns or the ROIs are not as prominent as we'd like to see it you know, how many years on 10, 12, 15 years on. But what I think is also important to understand is the technology itself hasn't reached a stable outcome or output. The infrastructure is still being developed. It's still transforming and changing. And these technologies are not um, like previous technologies. They're not something that can be developed by one company and a solution produced by one company. Blockchain technology's value comes from an entire industry applying these technologies and really making or creating benefits, mutual benefits across the industry for all players. That's when you really start to see ROI coming in. There are still agencies, though, that believe in the blockchain potential. So last year, uh, we saw about $26.8 in in venture capital spending or investments into the blockchain industry. And we saw in 2021, $6.6 billion corporate spending on blockchain. Wow. So, so the belief that it can have outcome yeah. is there. Yeah, so there's a lot of people out there that are a lot cleverer than me that are investing a lot of money in behind it. So that there's definitely a, probably a, a strong case for it. And and interestingly, I, I think um, when a tech comes out, uh, particularly that can have such an impact, I do think it takes, you know, um, and I know everyone thinks that technology moves really fast. And I, I think tech development of technology moves far faster than the acceptance of technology. Um, and I've seen so many cases that I've worked on projects around RFID 10 years ago, 
that are actually now starting to get delivered and actually become real projects um, with real use cases. Um, so, yeah, it, it is quite interesting. And I do think that is down to um, not necessarily the lack of appetite for uh, technology and innovation, but more for the fact of trying to understand the commercials behind it, the return on the investment. Um, and uh, again, we'll, we'll talk about it shortly, but the, the attitude towards digital transformation, which is, uh, which is more, more of an interesting conversation. Uh, but you mentioned IBM there and uh, I, I'm, uh, uh, as well. And I, I know that IBM and SAP have been blockchain champions for, for a number of years. They've all been uh, quite vocal about their sort of uh, engagement with, um, with blockchain. Um, but I suppose, are there any standardizations of blockchain out there yet? And does, does this hinder or help the growth and implementation of the technology? Um, we're not really seeing, I, I wouldn't say standardization, although I think uh, blockchain technology and you know distributed ledger technology as a whole is going to evolve over time and it's going to create an environment where we will find or we will need to have some kind of um, interoperability and standardization across the industry, particularly if we go into applications uh, or mass adoption within metaverse environments and so on. Um, but what we're seeing is consortium environments being created within industry. So you have kind of financial services and banking consortiums. You have um, uh, pharma consortiums as well that are being created. Um, and these are basically agreements between major players in the industry that come together to create a blockchain environment that they would use for mutual benefit. And you can actually do this with blockchain technology because there, you have the ability to bring in even competitive players in the market and almost partition the information that they get access to or the data that's being shared in that environment. So you can create an environment that allows for collaboration between different players, but still protects the competitive um, element or comp competitive data element within that environment. And so we're seeing um, quite a few different players, even within um, logistics, uh, transportation, um, you know, healthcare and so on, players coming together to create this sort of consortium environment. We haven't seen the level of return on investments that you know we'd like to see a couple of years on, and there are different challenges to that. Um, and of course, you know the the last couple of years, what we've seen was coronavirus pandemic impact the industry as well. Um, you know, before Corona hit us, there was a boom in terms of the number of companies in investing and being involved in uh, crypto and and blockchain startups and so on. And during the pandemic, many of these fell through. And I'm actually quite, I think it's a silver lining, to be honest, because many of the, the companies that didn't have a strong business case, didn't have a strong value proposition, did not survive the pandemic. So what we're left with today are really stronger organizations that had more than just, um, you know, a, a name and, and kind of a, a marketing element around them. There's a strong business case behind it. Um, and so we, we're seeing the, the industry evolve towards um, more collaboration. And I think once we hit a certain point where the companies are able to find the right use case and develop the blockchain technology to a level that it can be utilized by all players, I think that's when we'll find real interoperability. Okay. No, no, no. So that absolutely makes sense. So digital transformation is probably the most overused term in our sector, only second to you're on mute, which uh, I'm sure we've all used at some point in our time over the last two or three years. And I suppose for me, you know, getting past the technology a little bit and into the processes and, and the business aspect. Is the traditional approach of transformation 
adequate these days? And how can we learn from the huge wave of transformational plays of the last few years? I, I think it's inadequate. And that's part of the reason I wrote uh, my book as well. I've been in the space for, for a long time. And as you said, right, digital transformation is a term that's very overused these days, but it has actually been around for a very long time. It's been around since businesses started to use technology in any way within their business environment. Um, but what has happened over recent years is the exponential capabilities of technology um, has impacted how we do business. And that's the element that's completely changed. And that's the reason why digital transformation has taken center stage in many organizations. Um, what companies have done, though, is they focused on the technology implementation, really starting to look at how technology can be implemented, looking at technology implementation as a project with a start date and an end date, and really believing that these technology solutions are the silver bullet solutions that can solve the problems they face in business. Um, and for me, th these are some of the fundamental challenges that are going to um, exist until companies start to address digital transformation in a new way. With this approach, you'll fall short of um, realizing the real benefits of digital transformation. And um, either your projects will fail or you fall short on realizing benefits. Um, and a main reason for this is companies tend to focus a lot on the digital element and less on the transformation bit. But the transformation part is where you really create this solid foundation um, that can help these technology solutions really create exponential growth and scale that you're looking for. And the transformation element is taking your organization on a journey. It's an organization-wide change that forces companies to look at how they engage with customers, who these customers are, what channels they're using to engage with them, the kinds of products and services that they are putting out there in the digital environment, as well as your internal business operations, your processes, your um, organization structures, the people and their capabilities and how your teams are structured, as well as your business model fundamentally. Can these business models survive in the digital future? Are they going to be uh, delivering revenues and values continuously for the market in the future? These are some of the fundamental elements that digital transformation question. And I think this is where companies need to be focusing their energy on. Hmm. I'd, I'd agree with you absolutely, and uh, and I suppose the key thing for me is when when you're implementing those strategies, um, particularly around emerging tech, and sometimes not not even emerging tech, just technologies that have been around a while. The culture of a business can be a the biggest hurdle, I, I believe. And you you hear the the terms we've always done it that way. That comes into play a, a fair bit. And uh, I, I can share with you some of our, our experiences from ourselves. We've just put in a, a new CRM system and uh, the challenges that I know that we've been through with, with that. And uh, I didn't want to share the, the stats with my colleagues that something like 70% of CRM implementations actually fail. Um, and that's not down to the technology because we know the technology is good. It's predominantly down to the we've always done it that way sort of attitude. So how can we get organizations to focus more on output rather than perhaps a, a traditional KPIs? Um, the output has to be clear. And in order to understand what your outputs are going to be, you have to have the right objectives set up. 
and the objectives then are defined based on not just financial objectives, but also people objectives, business objectives, uh, process objectives. So you've got to set up your KPIs based on what your, your business strategy is. In today's business environment, you can't really separate digital from business because digital can be applied pretty much in every function, business function and every area of business. And so you need to fully understand that digital is at the center of your business strategy. Define what your uh, your purpose is or what your value proposition is going to be for these technologies and then implement according to that and measure outcomes based on that as well. And it's not an understatement when you say that it's culture, it's mindset, it's people behind, right? This is the one element that can make or break any technology or strategic implementation. It's the people element Mm -hmm. because people are creatures of habit. Absolutely. (laughs) They'll fall back on traditional ways of doing things. And the number of times in my early career where we've implemented massive systems like SAP and so on. And uh, and we found that it hasn't given us the business return that we had expected simply because people fell back on the traditional way of doing things. They were not convinced the new system would deliver what they need. And they created almost this shadow organization where they were doing things in the traditional way and then spending time at the end of the day to update the SAP system so everything's aligned. And this meant an increase in time and effort and costs (laughs) and you know once we figured out okay this is what's happening you know you need to actually get buy-in not just from your internal environment as well but also if you're implementing a tech solution for your customers you need to understand what the problem space is why they want something or why they use how they use technology and deliver to those needs And this way, you don't just get people buying into technology solutions, but you get people advocating for it. And this means when they advocate for technology, it means they're fully bought in, they take ownership of it, and they tell everyone else, this is something you've got to use. And that's when you know you've won in in a digital transformation initiative. Yeah, and it is interesting. And uh, you can sometimes see it's the the differences there. And, you know, I I remember years ago uh, doing an ERP system upgrade and uh, you know it had all the ability to do what the team needed and then you found them working back in spreadsheets again two weeks later and it's yeah it's yeah it is a crazy world out there but but uh, and I've also I suppose I've spoken to a lot of really interesting people across particularly across the podcast series um, we spoke to one gentleman who was using uh, virtual reality out in Africa to deal with, train people how to deal with road traffic injuries because everyone thinks malaria is the biggest killer. In fact, it's not. Road traffic accidents are still the biggest killer out there. And that's predominantly because there's a lot of remote places. It's really difficult to get medical attention to people. So how do we train uh, people to do that? And he was using VR headsets and technology to 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 put people into that environment of like, there's been an RCA, how do we deal with it? And I can imagine that being quite, I suppose there's two sides to that. For, for me is sometimes if people have had no experience at all, you can just take them there and, and it really works. And the example being, again, out in Africa, a lot of internet connection, they've just gone straight to fiber. They've missed out the copper infrastructure completely. So they're actually ahead of us in some places because um, they, ha- they haven't had that technology to roll out the copper. So they've just gone straight to fiber. So they've got faster speeds than we have here in the UK, which is, which is insane um, with the investment that we've had over years in infrastructure. And it's kind of, 
I think sometimes if you take people straight to that latest technology, it's great and it's quite quick. But when you've got that progressive upgrade and, and kind of let's try this new step, I think that's really hard. And, and you've talked about, you know, um, SAP ERP system. I, I think you can't speak to a single person in the tech sector that's not been through an ERP uh, project and had an absolute nightmare with it. Um, and that is sometimes down to the technology. Um, you know, it, it might not have been planned out correctly or whatever, but sometimes it is down to that um, reluctance um, that, that we've talked about, which which is fascinating. Coming, I suppose, touching back on uh, disruptive technology, and, and, and as a single disruptive technology such as blockchain can be immensely powerful but then when you start bringing it together with other technologies such as iot ai the outcomes can surely give um organizations that dis- you know that disruption in their sector they can future proof their businesses so why do you still think there is that trepidation around emerging tech when it's tabled as a solution um I, I think there are a couple of elements and based on my own experience, right? And I'd like to pick up on the point you mentioned earlier. There are certain regions in the world, developing regions like uh, in Africa. I've, ha- I've got clients in Africa. I've got clients in Asia. I've worked across many, many different regions. Um, I, I do find that um, some of these regions have more of an appetite for technology. Um, they are adopting faster because the competitive landscape is also a lot more rapid and dynamic. Um, you've got to adapt, you've got to change, you've got to create that competition. Whereas if you find, you know, sometimes in developed regions, um, there is a little bit of a complacency. We've done this, you know, uh, this way most of our, um, for decades, and you've got companies that are extremely large and profitable that find it very difficult to change. But I think each of these elements, whether you're, you know, it doesn't matter what end of the scale you're at, it doesn't matter um how mature in terms of digital your organization or your business or your region is there are challenges in terms of adopting technology if you're going too fast and adopting too fast you lose out on some of the fundamental elements that need to be created to ensure sustainable outcomes if you're going too slow you miss out on the market competition you miss out on um build you know keeping up um delivering for your increasingly digital customers as well as competing uh, with startups and so on. So there are challenges at, at both end of, ends of the spectrum. The one thing that does appear across the board is the people element, which is the mindset of fear, the mindset of losing control. And this is one of the biggest barriers that I've uh, faced. This is the mindset element, right? When you have in an organization, it doesn't matter how advanced your company is, there's always someone who has this fear of losing control, Someone who's, uh, un, you know, and, and I think this comes really down to having an understanding for the technology, having an understanding for the capabilities of the technology. So um, people fear things they don't understand. People fear things they, they're not used to. And they fear things that they um, that will change the way they do things. And these are some of the key fundamental elements that I found as barriers. Um Apart from that, you also have, you know, um, other elements like technology infrastructures that uh, are not able to accommodate new tech implementations. So I've worked with banks and insurers that have had technology infrastructures from 40 years ago still running in their systems, right? 
it's crazy to imagine, <laughs> but they still have it. Yeah. Depend on it as part of their core system. And in order to change that, because it's built, built such a complex network of um, dependencies within their business environment, changing that core system is like gutting the organization. And that can be a painful and complex procedure. Um, apart from that, you also have um, elements around foundation elements that are not available, like data strategies to implement blockchain or AI. You need to have capabilities or skill sets. So there are many different elements. It depends. And I feel like this is one of the most exciting elements about the work that I do. Every organization I work with is unique in its own way. And it's an exciting journey to go on with that organization. But I think the thing that is needed, the kind of fundamental success factor, is first of all, getting over these mindset barriers. That's the biggest challenge, I would say. I'd, I'd completely agree with you. And uh, I, I certainly agree with you on the legacy systems. Uh, you know, we, we've, uh, yeah, over the years, I've come across some some interesting uh, stories there, which uh, for, for, for another time maybe, but yeah, definitely uh, some organizations like to sweat their assets, as I call it. Um, and uh, and some have taken it to a, to a whole new extreme. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I do find it uh, fascinating when you sometimes get, well, we do it this way and you go, well, it can, you know, it can really add some some uh, strategic advantages there, and, and it it just yeah, it, it's more attitude than um, than the, the, the technology itself. And I get sometimes, particularly in the tech sector, uh, you know, there's a new startup probably every day with some new technology, and um, and and some things are overly hyped. I, I completely see that, and I've seen a lot of technology over the years that have been highly hyped up. And don't really end up delivering on on their promises, but uh, but yeah, no, I, I think you certainly have to give things a chance. And uh, I'd rather I'd rather prove a, a new technology doesn't work by using it than the other way around, if that makes sense. Which is good. And I suppose um, the other thing that I, I think um, on a slightly different topic, but all wraps into one, is that uh, diversity is having a huge impact on the outcomes and the evolution of technology. Have you seen any examples where you've seen the lack of or an increase in diversity, which has helped to had a strategic impact? Um, I, I, I'm a big advocate for diversity. And first, I have to qualify because I think this is a, a misunderstood element in the market, oftentimes in business. Diversity for me is not about gender diversity. It's not just about having more women in the boardroom. And you hear a lot of this, particularly coming up to International Women's Day next week. It is really about diversity of thought. Yep. And diversity of thought comes from having people from different genders, different backgrounds, different educations, different cultures, different age groups, uh, different sexual orientations, bringing these types of thoughts together and this is a fundamental element of innovation. Unless you can bring that diversity of thought together, innovation is never going to be as innovative as it could be. And second element is you're never going to be able to build tech solutions that cater to a global market because you're always going to be blindsided. Uh, you're going to have a blind spot in terms of what you're building and how you're building. And we've seen lots of examples. One example that came up this week, Ian, was, I don't know if you've seen this um, viral TikTok that went around. There is a soap dispenser that's sensor-based in uh, the US okay. that doesn't dispense soap to people of darker skin because the sensor doesn't detect the darker skin. Oh, wow. Now, 
this is um, it seems like a, a real simple problem, but there's many elements behind it, right? One is the technology was either built by people of a certain homogeneous group or was tested by people of a certain homogeneous group. So it was there was a blind spot that you didn't test for, or perhaps even the company knew about it, but it was too expensive to change. Wow. There are many reasons behind this. Uh, but at the end of the day, there is a product out there in the market that caters only to a subset of the the consumer base. And this is a fundamental issue, not just for technology providers, but for customers, for businesses, and so on. And so there is an essential need to have this diversity involved in technology development, especially if we're talking about technology that's going to transform lives, like blockchain is going to make finances accessible to global people, in, you know, people in underdeveloped regions, people in, and many of these people in underdeveloped regions have specific needs. Unless you fully understand what those needs are, you're not going to be able to deliver solutions to them. And you have then uh, technology that's going to transform healthcare, for example. And we've seen many use cases of um, healthcare solutions or pharmaceutical solutions or, or med tech solutions built for a single homogeneous group. And does it deliver for? And this is fundamental life or death situations that need those technologies. So I, I truly believe that in, in tech, it, you know, other industries, you can argue yes, no. You can argue about financial outcomes. You can argue about many different things. But in tech development, I believe you need to have that diversity of thought because technology is changing lives. And if you're intending for technology to change lives, you need to cater to the needs of every life. And so... You can hear I'm very passionate about that. <laughs> I, I'm very used to these conversations at home. I have two uh, very strong-willed daughters who are uh, educating me on a daily basis of more so of how the next generation interacts, what they expect of technology, how they use it. And uh, that certainly made a difference to how I work and consider technology and, and the solutions because we've got to cater for you know, not obviously only the, the diversity of our, our of our customers and our clients in, in our business, but also, you know, within our, our own users within the business. And uh, the way that uh, myself and some of our my colleagues might work might be very different to the next generation of people coming into the business. And uh, I, I do think that, you know, we see ourselves, you know, some people would rather use um, a, a, an online chat um, really quick gets an answer other people would rather send an email and you know that those very very simple aspects of that are creeping in but i i completely agree with you and uh, we're, we're I, seeing I, this sorry to interrupt but I, I i believe i i think this is very exciting what you're saying as well because i believe this generational shift is something that companies are not ready to address now i've seen as well on tiktok and instagram this is the gen z and the millennials who have entered the workforce. Millennials have been in the workforce for a while. Gen Zs are now entering the workforce. There are so many videos just in this last week of dads of newborn babies who are quitting their jobs live on, on Instagram and TikTok because the employer would not give them paternity leave. Wow. And this is the demand of the next generation. They want a new way of working. They want new accessibilities, new ways of communicating, you know, new benefits that didn't exist for the Gen Xs before, right? Our generation. And I think this is very exciting. I'm, I'm applauding these situations because we're pushing the business and corporate industries to shift the way they do things. And this shift is very important. And dads of daughters are the ones that are making the change. My, my husband, we have a 12-year-old girl. My husband is Swiss and... 
the, the fundamental mindset shifts that have happened in recent years. <laughs> I think you can relate as well, Ian. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, no. Um, yeah, they, they definitely, yeah, they definitely rule the roost, definitely. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely the underdog in our house. But uh, but yeah, uh, I, I, would, I wouldn't think... Right? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't change it for the world. No, no, they're, they're great. But it is great to see how, particularly going back to that diversity, the the impact it can have. And and also my um my eldest daughter has um, studied medicine, and I, I shared a, a case um, on another podcast that she'd highlighted to me, and it was about um, going back to those issues and the healthcare that you say, where I think it was liver transplants. There's a slight slight difference um in terms of the way that i think it was a particular i think there was particular uh america and african americans have a different cretin level um when their mm-hmm. liver produce when their liver starts to fail and um basically they'd had um, they were using ai to determine who gets the next mm-hmm. uh, liver transplant and because of this issue basically you were less likely or something like 60% less likely to get a liver transplant um, if you were were a black American Mm -hmm. compared to um, any other cultural background. And it's those little bits that, again, diversity needs to come back in. Those technologies do need to be, um, I suppose, checked uh, for for bias in some ways. And we can talk all day about the bias in AI, Mm -hmm. and that's something I've got to learn about a, a lot recently. But again, it comes back down to that diversity. You know, we need to be having that uh, that different thought processes. I, I think you called it, which is uh, which is fascinating. And just one last word on that as well: bias is not visible unless you have someone pointing it out. And if you're in a homogeneous team building a tech solution, you are not, and it's not. Uh, malicious. It doesn't have to be something that is done on on purpose. Mm-hmm. Bias is not visible to us until it's pointed out. And that's why you need to also have this diversity of thought within the teams that are building that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've got a few, I'm conscious of time and your time. And so I've got a couple of very, very quick fire questions that we always like to end the episode with just for a bit of fun, just to sort of wind down. And I suppose that the first one for me is, are you a fan of virtual shopping in full VR or are you still uh, predominantly uh, go down the high street or mall uh, and grab a coffee or a glass of wine? I have stopped shop- shopping in real life, I think, already for about two years. Wow. <laughs> so I exclusively shop online, so VR for sure. I would definitely, especially if you add in elements of being able to try things on virtually and um, you know, having your 3D body scans and all of that elements into it. I think that experience would be. I can have my glass of wine while I do that on my computer. <laughs> excellent, excellent. I, I actually, um, I, I, I've spoken to a futurist, and uh, we actually had this uh, this uh, lady um, at an event of ours, and she's a, an expert in sort of uh, VR uh, and uh, the metaverse, and she was actually showing some video content about I think Chanel and some of the big brands have created their own metaverse. And uh, you can literally, yeah, start walking through, selecting different patterns and styles. And, yeah, it, it's uh, – I, I think Metaverse is one of those ones that I, I think we've still got to watch it play out. But I think it – I don't think we can ignore it for certain. I think it's uh, – I think it is uh, – Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to creep up on us for certain. Um, lastly, but leastly, what's your favourite tech gadget? Um, at the moment, I am hooked on my tap 
Are you familiar with Tapion? I am not, so I'm going to learn so something. Fantastic. It is a, it's kind of a, um, some, it's like a glove, but it's not really a glove. It's a piece that you put onto your hand and it allows you to type anywhere. So you can type in, in as you tap on your body or, you, you know, so it basically is a keyboard that isn't really a keyboard. Wow. And I find this pretty cool because I believe in the low, um, low touch economy. We're heading towards an environment where you won't have as much dependency on on the devices. So holding your mobile phone or having your laptop and so on. I think we're going to head into more of a, um, virtual screens or, you know, perhaps even um, retina as your, your screen and things like that. Um, and so the tap is going to be fairly important because it's going to allow you to use any surface as a keyboard and type. Um, the one barrier to that is, you know, you've, you've got to learn the taps. So every tap of your finger has a different alphabet to it and it's a number of taps, but it's kind of fun learning. They have a little app so you can learn. It's like learning a new language as well. Um, so I, I absolutely love that. Um, I'm also exploring quite a lot of online AI-based platforms. There's a lot of chat about ChatGPT, but there are numerous platforms out there that add so much value for business already accessible and affordable today. Mm. Yeah, no, that, that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google that one shortly after we've finished um, because that sounds like a, a great piece of technology. And I, I will look into that because uh, so I love learning new things and uh, particularly new technologies. And uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have to uh, see if I can uh, get one of those to play with, even though I, I don't know if it will compensate for my very poor fat fingers in terms of the way that I type. Um, I, I watch my children on their phones and it's like both thumbs going at 100 miles an hour um, and, and working away, whereas I'm still, I think, uh, on one finger just sort of going away so we'll see how that plays out but thanks for the recommendation and um a great opportunity to speak to you today so really thank you for your time um i've learned something about blockchain digital transformation and some new technology so so that's a good day in the office for me um so again thank you very much for taking the time out to speak to us uh thanks for joining um the asm connected podcast series uh, Kamalish, thank you very much for taking the time out and uh, I wish you a good day. Thank you so much, Ian. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Have a great day. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to this episode of ASM Connected with guest Kamalish Lardy. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe now to make sure you never miss an update and check out the other episodes in the series. To find out more about the team at ASM Technologies, visit asmtech.com. This is ASM Connected.